Welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf and Gavin Shaw here. And we interrupt your regularly scheduled Knicks offseason because Carmelo Anthony has officially announced his retirement after 19 years in the NBA, six and a half seasons with the Knicks. Obviously has a complicated Knicks legacy that, uh, yes, 10 different people tell you 10 different answers. You'll get at least two of them out of us in this episode. We're going to talk about Melo's legacy, whether his jersey should be retired, and his overall NBA legacy, as well as just his, his Knicks uh, legacy, right now on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Starts without a five. Ewing for the win. Yes! Up, up, left. Now fires it. He's good. And he's fouled. Anthony for three. Bang! That one goes to back. Lucado puts up the three. Bang! Bang! Randall knocks down the three. Welcome in to Locked On Knicks, and we want to remind you guys that today's episode is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Go to birddogs.com slash LockedOnNBA, and when you enter promo code LockedOnNBA, they'll throw in a free custom Bird Dogs Yeti-style tumbler with every order. I have it, and I've been drinking my coffee out of it in the morning, and it's awesome, so definitely do that. Uh, and we want to thank you guys for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day, whether you're checking us out on your favorite podcast platform or taking in the sights and sounds on YouTube. We appreciate you making us a part of your daily routine. Make sure to hit the subscription uh, bell, notification bell on YouTube or the auto-download function on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode because no matter what, we're here for you guys four to five days a week during the offseason, no matter what, and and uh, giving you guys that sweet Knicks fix even when the Knicks aren't playing anymore. And we're watching the team that knocked them out of the playoffs embarrass the Celtics at this point. But uh, speaking of embarrassing the Celtics uh we could talk about the guy that retired the the last Celtics dynasty uh in his own special way despite the fact that they lost in the the next round after that Gavin Carmelo Anthony retires from the NBA officially he uh did not end up playing this year uh, and and then decided I guess you know this that's it then you know it was, it was the first year of all the years where he left his phone on all year and, and didn't get a call. And I assume that that was sort of the, the point where he finally decided, you know, maybe it's time to just officially hang it up at this point, but he ends his career 11th all time in NBA history and scoring with 28,289 points. He's also seventh in Knicks history in total points with 10,186, but third in points per game in Knicks history with 24.7. So, Pretty solid legacy left by Melo, at least from a, a pure accolade standpoint. One of the most talented scorers to ever play in the NBA, for sure. Uh, Gavin, how how will you remember Melo's time with the Knicks, I guess, is the easiest way to put it to start. I, it's, it's a challenging question for me because I think the way I experienced it in real time and the more I read about him and, and learn about him as a person – off the court and, and also um, maybe maybe with the the benefit of, of some basketball hindsight and, and a little bit more experience and a little bit more understanding of the game now, like 
I feel like I have a very different opinion of him now. And honestly, like a much more favorable one than I had of him um, when I was watching him live. And part of that was I was in high school, um, like during his run on the Knicks, or at least the majority of it. And in my mind, I, I saw this like relatively inefficient chucker for the most part and of course the 12 13 season we always talk about in this pod like that that there's rose tinted glasses for that but outside that alex for me like watching him um in real time it was a lot of frustration and and it was this guy who i saw like consistently like pulling up against double teams and taking like these super complicated like mid-range shots and i saw someone who was kind of like in love with the art of looking good on a basketball court and and like playing like this like aesthetically pleasing style of ball. And like in some ways, like a Hooper's Hooper, right? Because like his game was pure. And there, there's like, you you listen to like guys around the league talk about him like while he played and in retrospect. And there's such an immense respect for him and, and his bag. And I felt time and my frustration come from came from um like, I didn't know if that equated to winning. And sometimes I thought it was actively counterproductive to winning. And, and that left me with, like this feeling of like, all right, this dude is like, not like, I don't, I want to be like careful with my wording, but like almost less than the sum of his parts maybe was, was, was my feeling on him. Um, And I think with time I've, I've kind of grown to appreciate him more. And also just like the sheer, like lack of help he had um, uh, during his next tenure and and what he could have looked like with that help. But Alex, I I don't know what what, what are some of your favorite moments, memories, and maybe just like overall like perception of him uh, when you're watching him in real time. Yeah, I think my overall thought, I I would say over the years I've maybe soured slightly mm. on on my memory of Mellow in general. I think the main thing, and I mean I always kind of just wrote this off because I, I really loved watching him play at the time. You know, I thought when he was on, he was on. And yes, like there were some frustrating times. It's not dissimilar to how we feel about Julius Randle now, right? Like where there were some nights where he was just so on, but like to a different level than what you get out of Randle to where it was just like nobody in the world can stop this guy today. Like he is, you could find any basketball player on planet earth and they are not going to, you put prime Michael Jordan on this guy today and and he's not going to stop him from scoring right now. Um, And those were the best moments, you know, like the, 50 points on all jumpers, you know, like the 62 points on Michael Kidd Gilchrist, like all these, all these huge moments, you know, huge scoring performances. They were fun in the moment and the, the clutch shooting, you know, the, the Easter game uh, against Chicago, stuff like that. I mean, there's, there's a lot of like, like you use this term a lot. And I like this, that I've, I've latched on this, like flashbulb moments, you know, of like, oh man, I remember that. Um, And I really enjoy that. But I think, I, the thing that you said last is what sort of I've soured on a little bit is like the lack of help uh, element. And like, it, so for as much flack as like Julius Randle gets, for example, he's kind of done nothing but like help the Knicks, like potentially get more free agents and stuff since he's been here. Like no matter what you think of his play, he took a discount to on his, his deal, like to come back to the Knicks. Like he, almost certainly could have said, I want to be a 30 plus million dollar a year player prior to last year and gotten it. And instead took a deal that paid him only marginally more than what he got on the sort of show me deal that he got from the Knicks, you know, for his first deal. Mello, on the other hand, like the legacy just kind of starts with forcing his way to New York before an impending lockdown. So like, I always sort of defended that as like, 
yeah, but like he, I sort of understand it because nobody was sure how the the lockdown was going to affect the players and player salaries and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I didn't totally blame him for like protecting himself in that way. And yet just the fact that he then was totally fine with being like, yeah, well, fine. I mean, if, you know, nuggets, if you guys want to leverage the, uh, the nets there too, I'd go to the nets also. And, you know, then played the hometown angle of like, but this is my home. New York's my home. But I would have totally gone to the Nets if I had the chance. You know, it's like that part kind of like got got to me more as the years went on. And then also just like the saga of his second deal with the Knicks where, you know, he he kind of decided to play the free agency game again, had the whole contentious thing with Phil Jackson and then was like, oh, I'll take like a quote unquote discount. It was just he forewent his his raise in the first year, but then also got a no trade clause, which is like one of the last no trade clauses awarded just by like sign the sign the dotted line trade no trade clause in like a long time. You know, most of them now are just sort of like contractual like fail safes that get put in, like with with uh, um, guys that sign like qualifying offers and stuff like that now, but. Melo got like turned that one year of no raises into a no trade clause, which then eventually bit the Knicks in the butt later on when it was time to kind of move on where Melo was able to set this very restrictive list of where he would go. And the Knicks weren't able to get the most for him on his way out. So those things sort of sour things a little bit for me, but all in all, like the overall experience of watching him play. And I still love it. I still go back and watch some of his games sometimes. Like it, it gives me a feeling like I always talk about how much I love Tracy McGrady and that he was, he's like my favorite player to watch of all time. And like watching him score the ball was like one of the coolest things I've ever seen. And like, I have like a very romantic ideal of that in my head because mm-hmm. that was when I was like 13 years old, you know, whatever. And that was like huge for me. Um, it's very similar with, with mellow. When I look back on the best moments where I like, I definitely like romanticize the best moments of like what it was like watching him score the basketball. Yeah. And, you know, what it was like on his best nights and the feelings you would get where you were just like, you know, it's sort of like a feeling you get with Randall or Brunson now sometimes where it's like sometimes when they're just on, you're just like, man, like, yeah, it, we got the best player on the court tonight. And this is a great he, feeling. He honestly like I was thinking about this on on, on my way home today because I knew we were going to do this podcast. And like in some ways, like he was kind of like a and this this sounds like an insult because he's he's like he, he's just Carmelo Anthony. He's the ninth leading scorer in NBA history. But in some ways, he was just like a very slightly like middle class man's like Kevin Durant in that like when he got hot, like it didn't really matter what the defense did at all because he could just raise up over you and hit a shot. Like, I think, like, I, I think this is what a lot of people go back to when you ask like his best moments in the Knicks, like, like the bulls game. I think that, that was a Christmas game, right? Where he made the three at the end of regulation. And then he hit Easter, the three Easter. Easter, Easter, yeah. Easter yeah. Big, big Christian holiday. Guy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, and then, yeah. Uh, Jewish guy over here. Um, and then, yeah, hit, hit uh, two big threes um, to win that game. And, and just like, like I went back and, and I watched um, the highlights of that today. And you could tell like on the second three, like he knew exactly what he was going to do. He like, he, he, he wasn't going to get the ball. Um, so he went to the middle of the floor, like literally like demanded the ball. Like he was playing with like a bunch of little kids, got it. And just kind of slowly dribbled over the right side. Wait till there was the right, right amount of time on the clock. The defense knew what he was going to do. And he just rose up and stuck it anyways. And that was Carmelo Anthony at his best, right? Like he could pick his spot. You could know what spot he was going to, and he was still going to get there and score the basketball. So to me, like, like if there's like an enduring memory of the guy, like to your point when he was clicking, when things were right, 
that's it. That he was just like, like you just, there, there was no stopping it. And I think of the same thing on like, like his team USA tenure is kind of analogous to when Kevin Durant was on the Warriors where he got to be used in such a distilled way where he was just a play finisher. And you saw what that could look like. Like it was, it was like, he was, he was the best scorer on a team full of the best scorers in the world. And one of the better errors of talent in the NBA ever. Um, like that, that is kind of it with him. Like, like he, like he was like the shot makers shot maker. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I, I think there's a, a question to be had, which we'll talk about in our next segment. Uh, along with it, a very uh, fiery debate that was definitely like raging on Twitter once again today. Uh, where does he rank as far as most talented players to ever put on a Nick jersey, just like purely in a vacuum? And should the Knicks retire his jersey? Uh, so those are two things that we're going to cover in our next segment. But first, I do just got to remind you all that today's show is brought to you by Bird Dogs. And this is like, I think I said this the first time I did this read. One of the easiest ad reads I've ever had to do uh, here because Bird Dogs is nice stuff to send us a couple pairs of shorts. And, man, I have never had a pair of shorts that I like more, quite frankly. They are so freaking comfortable. They look like nice khaki shorts and yet have four-way flex. And depending on what material you get, they have they have multiple choices. You could pick uh, either like more athletic-y shorts that could definitely be used to go swimming in the summer if you so chose and still just get out, dry off, and go back to barbecuing or whatever uh, without much issue and still look like you're just wearing normal shorts. They have like Oxford shorts and khaki shorts that have four-way stretch and and are quick drying and have a really nice liner inside that if you're like me and you sweat a ton, especially during those summer months, at a barbecue, maybe like a volleyball game breaks out. You don't want to, you know, be having embarrassing like butt sweat, you know, or anything like that. Don't got to worry about that. In bird dogs, they are fantastic. Um, I, I've just, I've loved them so far. I've been wearing them pretty much nonstop as long as they've been clean and then immediately doing laundry to get them back in rotation the second that I can. Um, I, I think that if you guys want to experience that, you should probably go to birddogs.com right now. Uh, go to birddogs.com slash locked on NBA specifically. Uh, check out the colorful names that they have for their their various colorways of their various styles of shorts. I, I'm not really permitted to say them on a family friendly show, but uh, rest assured they will give you a good chuckle. Uh, <laughs> some of the names are quite dirty uh, and I can't say them out loud. But, you know, if you got one reason to just go look at birddogs.com slash locked on NBA, make that the one. Uh, and make sure to enter promo code locked on NBA if you decide to get some shorts for yourself. They will throw in a free custom bird dogs Yeti style tumbler with every order. I got one of those too. It's super nice. It's got like a little magnetic, uh, you know, thing over the drink hole, whatever. Very state of the art. So get yourself a mug, but more importantly, get yourself some state of the art shorts. Again, at birddogs.com slash locked on NBA. All right, and we're back. Gavin, and continue talking about Carmelo Anthony, a fantastic career if there ever was one. And, you know, I like I said in the first segment, certain things, I think sort of there's certain things to harp on about his time with the Knicks. But all in all, prior to this current iteration of the Knicks, he gave us the closest thing that we've had to fun, competent Knicks basketball in uh, since the Ewing years, basically. So at that time, it was like a 13-year drought of just 
crap <laughs> the Knicks had had prior to, well, okay, I say 13 years, I guess more like 10, 11 by the time that, that Melo actually showed up. But then by the time we hit that 12, 13 season, it had been mm-hmm. about been about 12, 13 years since the Knicks had had a team that good and that fun. And obviously a team we still talk about today. But Gavin, you posed this question before we started recording, so I'll let you lead this off. It, where does he rank as far as most talented players to ever put on a Knicks jersey? If you're just looking at that purely without like time of service or anything else included in that. Yeah, it, it's hard because I, I don't know where to put the 70s guys in there because I just... I just didn't watch enough of them, um, but I would I would say Clyde would probably be the only one from those teams in that conversation, and may, and that's probably doing a disservice to Willis Reed, given that he won an MVP award and won a Finals MVP award. Um, but just from my gauge of what type of player he was, and 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 the nebulous um, definition I have of talent in my head, I would probably say it's between like him, Bernard King, and Patrick Ewing, and like it's kind of those three separated from each other, and and I think it's an interesting bellwether. When you when you when you posit that, and then you say like, all right, does that translate to his jersey having been retired? Right? Because isn't that the question? Like, like he provided like to what we just talked about, like all this aesthetic value. He provided some winning, um, but not winning on the level of, of any of the guys whose jerseys are retired. And just for the sake of this conversation, like I'll list them: it's Walt Frazier, it's Dick Barnett, it's Earl Monroe, it's Dick McGuire, it's Willis Reed, it's Dave DeBusher, it's Bill Bradley, it's Patrick Ewing, and it's it's a uh, Red Holzman as as a coach. Um, he fits into a very different category. He is was pure talent. He has a lot of production, not a lot of winning, right? Like how many how many playoff wins on the Knicks? Like I could count them up real quick. Something like 10 total. Got mm-hmm. to the second round once. Got to game six in the second round. Didn't get past that. I don't know, Alex. Like you feel free to comment on the talent debate, but also like does that warrant his jersey being retired? I don't think so. I, that's my, you know, and look. I probably am higher, uh, contrary to what maybe the last segment maybe made it seem like, I'm probably higher than most people on Melo's tenure with the Knicks. Like, I look back on it fondly. I look back on it like it was a fun time, you know? Like, it was imperfect thanks to the team never quite being able to, like, surround them with enough talent uh, via one reason or another that, you know, they were never able to, like, fully compete uh, and also just some bad luck and stuff like that. But in the end, it's like, if the criteria is basically of of who the Knicks have retired jerseys of uh, to to date, it's members of the two championship teams, and you know on top of that, like guys that mostly spent like good amounts of years with the team, either leading up to or after those championships, or Patrick Ewing, who is literally like he's he's the record holder, like for the Knicks. You know what I mean? He holds like almost every every record imaginable uh points rebounds i think he's got points rebounds blocks and steals uh if i'm not mistaken i don't think he has assists but he's probably higher on that list than you would expect like he's just on every list for the Knicks played for all intents and purposes his entire career with the Knicks you know obviously had those last like 2 years where he was with like the Sonics and then with Orlando I, those don't really count it, all the years that mattered he was with the Knicks and brought them to a finals appearance, brought them to multiple Eastern Conference finals, brought them to the second round pretty much perennially. Mm. So, like, from that perspective, that's about as close as you can get to a player with a championship legacy. Like, in the eyes of many, he has something like a championship legacy. Like, he spent over a decade with the Knicks, like 15 years in total. I, I think that that is the differentiator there between, like, 
obviously not trying to put Mello in the same class as Ewing at all, but like if you were going to make the argument of like, should Mello have his jersey retired? It's like there's n- he would be the first of his kind. And then it becomes like, well, then should they retroactively go back and retire like Bernard King's number? Like he got as far as Mello did and had was a little more mercurial in the sense like he got injured the one year and and, you know, had less overall time spent on the Knicks. But clearly, if you ask some fans like from the 80s, like made the same type of impact on people like from just the perspective of like how he's remembered. Um, and then do you go back and do like Richie Guerin then who like scored tons of points back in like the fifties, you know what I mean? It's like scored tons of points, didn't win a championship or ever get anywhere really close to it. Is that the criteria? Cause then it, I feel like if they retire Mello's number, they might have to retroactively go back and be like, maybe we should retire some other numbers. And maybe some people would say that's a good thing too, to be clear, you know, but it, I just feel like it's, I hate to use the term like slippery slope for something that's trivial, but it's a slippery slope. <laughs> you know, yeah. you might have to set a new precedent then. Yeah. And I think my pushback on that is, which was maybe a surprising given how I ended uh, my last point in the conversation is like, he was, he was the best Nick over a 20 year stretch. Like, and I, to me, retired numbers are like, should represent like the franchise's history and say like this person defined this error, this person defined this error, this person defined this error. And I, I understand that like you can, like in, in some ways, like, and not, not in some ways, like, like clearly like the Knicks standard is like higher than being in the hall of fame because Carmelo Anthony is like a no doubt, like forget about it hall of famer. Um, but even if you want to apply that, like, I, I just think he holds a significant spot in Knicks history. He is almost just too good of a player not to have his number retired. And you can talk about I mean, to some of the stuff you were saying, like the counterproductive stuff like that he did. And like, I didn't even get into this, but like, I think part of like what left a bad taste in my mouth was how he treated Jeremy Lin when that was going well. Um, at least, at least as far as my memories of it, obviously I wasn't in that locker room and, and I would need to go back and really do a deep dive on it. But I had the same impression of how he treated Kristaps Porzingis when Porzingis was coming up. And it felt like he was someone who like needed the spotlight at points so again, maybe I'm maybe I'm arguing against myself with that, but I, I I think his overall impact is too significant. And while I initially had the same instinct about Bernard King when I went back and looked, I realized King only played three seasons for all intents and purposes. Also had a six game stretch the year after towards ACL for the Knicks, while Mello played six and a half. So to me, that that's kind of the separator there. Yeah, I I mean I can see it. I just I don't know. I I do think. I think for better or worse, the standard sort of is what the standard is for the Knicks at this point. Okay, but wait, can we just say like if Melo just like if you replace like this is this to me is an interesting question. I'm curious your answer on it. Yeah. Like if you just replaced him with Bill Bradley, like on those 70 teams, like maybe those teams win four championships or five championships. Like, like does Melo like I know you you're making the argument that Melo played a role in his circumstances and his lack of help. But like, and, and and you could do that with any player. You could say like, all right, if if Quentin Grimes was on those teams, like he would maybe be a Hall of Famer, right? Like you could say, of course you could say that. But like, do you take that, like, does that hold any value to you that like maybe some of those guys just benefited from luck and like where they ended up? And like, or, or and do you just accept that as part of the argument? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I also think. It's tough. Yeah. I also think the part of it is that his, his legacy is so evenly split between two teams too. Mm. Like, and honestly, if you just took his nuggets accolades and nuggets achievements and, 
if it was flip flopped, like if he started his career on the Knicks and did what he did for the Nuggets and then went to the Nuggets and did what he did on the Knicks, I I almost would be more inclined to say like I would be more inclined to to retire his number then because then at least it's like he was younger, like he uh, he like got to a conference finals like. There was something a little more to to grab onto there, you know what I mean? And did most of his damage too, uh, like scoring wise with the Nuggets too. To be clear, like ten thousand one hundred eighty six points with the Knicks versus twenty eight thousand two eighty nine total. Uh, actually, I could probably look at his actual Denver numbers really quickly here. Yeah, I, bet, I bet they're pretty close. He probably had like twelve thousand or thirteen thousand in Denver, like fourteen thousand in Denver. So yeah. I mean, for you know, it's like that's a significant amount more to me. Forty percent more. Yeah. Yeah. So. I, I think that's part of it too. It's just like, I feel like if you're, if you're going to be, have your number retired on the Knicks, just based off the standards that have been set. And I understand like rules are meant to be broken, but I sort of respect this rule about it. It's like, unless you have a championship pedigree, like you better be like a Knicks lifer and hmm. that's it. And he wasn't a Knicks lifer. And you know, if like, again, for better or worse, I'm sure if you, you would have asked him, he would have been like, I would have loved to have been drafted to the Knicks instead of the Nuggets back in 2003. Um, you know, and he also would have been like, you know, I would have loved if things ended better, but they ultimately didn't because the Knicks wanted to rebuild. And, you know, it, it just kind of is what it is. I, I think that he could be remembered fondly. And I don't think that like, like, for example, look at how fondly like Spreewell, Larry Johnson, Marcus Camby, like John Starks, like all these guys are remembered by the Knicks fans and are treated so well by the Knicks and everything else. Like, I don't I don't think it's it's to say that his legacy doesn't matter or something. It's just like it's just not quite good enough to have your your jersey retired. I think that's my kind of overall stance on it, just based off the standards that have been set. Yeah. Yeah, it's fair. I think it's I think it's close. I think it's a very complicated argument. I would just the only thing I would say is like he was he was a different category of player than those guys, even if there were other things that held him back. Um, but but we're going to get into his overall legacy in just a sec. Um, but first, I wanted to tell everyone about our friends over at FanDuel because make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs right now because right now new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Um, I love betting on FanDuel because they have incredible promotions every single day. And I just, it's a pleasant surprise whenever I open the site and I, I see a new way that I can make myself some money. Um, it's a safe and secure app. And my favorite part, you get paid instantly. So there's no, there's no delayed gratification. It's instantaneous. There's no better place to bet on the playoff action than America's number one sports book. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. It's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel official sports betting partner of the NBA. All right, Alex, we are going to go like a little bit bigger picture and talk about um, Carmelo's overall um, NBA legacy. I it, it, it's kind of it's the Knicks is like in some ways defines it. But to your point, like I think people forget just how good he was in Denver and the fact that he made that Western Conference Finals run. And you, if you listen to J.R. Smith, if, if George Carl had a slightly more creative playbook, um, maybe would have gone to the NBA Finals, maybe would have won a title that year. Like he is kind of marked down as like the guy of his error who didn't win a championship. And and I think um, now that like Chris Paul doesn't seem like he's going to cross that barrier. Maybe Paul surpasses him as like a slightly better player who also didn't hit that mark. But I always found the conversation around him fascinating in that like, all right, like with the perfect team, 
Like, could he have been the best dude on a title team? And that's kind of the great what if of his career. Like, honestly, I think that Denver team was right on the precipice. I think like if you had just replaced him with like, or you had him replace Dirk Nowitzki in the 2011 Mavs, like kind of think that team might still win. Like, I'm sure there would have been more there just because of the relationship between him and LeBron. Maybe that would have thrown him off that series. And he certainly didn't have, like, I guess to my previous point, like, I think he was a very similar talent to Dirk, but didn't have the same, like, lack of ego that someone like Dirk had. And maybe you could argue, like, again, even in that context with the perfect team around him, like, that's maybe what would have held him back. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Like, his, his total legacy, I think, will slot him somewhere in the range of like like what you just said about like the best guys to have never won a championship i think that he'll slot in there somewhere around like charles barkley or like uh uh like again chris paul i'm trying to think other guys that yeah i i put i put both those guys above him but slightly above but like same general range i mean if you look at just from the pure scoring number perspective i mean you read the 10 names on the list above him and like barely above him to be clear on the list. And I mean, they're all like yeah, Pantheon Hall of Famers, like LeBron James, Kareem, Carl Malone, Kobe, Michael Jordan, Dirk, Will Chamberlain, Julius Irving, Moses Malone, Shaq, and then Carmelo Anthony. And that's that's your top eleven yep. scores in NBA history. I mean, you don't get there by accident, and you don't get there by not being one of the best that's ever done it. Like to your point in the last segment, he's a surefire Hall of Famer. That's that's for damn sure. Like that's never going to be in question. How he's remembered otherwise, though, again, I I guess just comes down to like how you weigh. Oh, <laughs> I don't know how I forget this guy. Freaking like Tracy McGrady, my favorite player ever. He's very much a Tracy McGrady. Like, and I think we'll be viewed kind of similar to him too. You know, like yeah, one of the most dynamic, amazing scores you could ever hope to see in your life a guy that you might make an appointment to watch on TV any given time, you know, with Carmelo, even if you weren't a Knicks fan, just wanting to see him play. And obviously we saw too, there were so many people that, you know, like if you followed along with the Knicks around on like Twitter and stuff around the time that he was getting ready to like leave the team, like there was plenty of people that were very much like there for Melo more or less, you know, and then followed and were like, I'm going to follow Melo to wherever he goes next. And it was like Oklahoma city and Portland and wherever else, like just people that loved Melo's game. Like he had that sort of like LeBron quality to him where it seemed like people followed him as a player. Yeah. Uh, more so than just like being a fan of whatever team that he was playing for um, and followed him from Denver to the Knicks and then to every other stop that he made on his way out of the league. Like uh, I, I think that, he'll be remembered as just an electric player. Certainly one of the best scorers to ever play the game. The problem is, and always will be like the other aspects of the game sometimes. And you noted, you know, sometimes he was feeling himself a little too much. Didn't do enough passing. Uh, The defense ranged from like passable to slightly above average when he played the four, which he hated (laughs) to, positively abysmal at times you know and and that was never one of his strong suits the rebounding i would say he was above average rebounder for his position in the aggregate of it all but like i also was kind of a rigid player that was reluctant to change how he wanted to play often which we saw play out with mike d'antoni and then obviously we saw how things went with mike woodson and like 
Woodson sort of figured things out, like the best way to sort of play the way that Mello wanted to play without making him change too much, but also in a way that was beneficial to the rest of the team. Not too dissimilar to like how we see the Knicks use Julius Randle sometimes now with like just basically surrounding him with shooters, spraying the ball out of the, the mid post there and seeing how things go. But, you know, we obviously saw it throughout the rest of his career, like just kind of that reluctance to change his role, like sort of gave the end of his career a little bit more of a thud to it than a guy like say a Vince Carter or something who just kind of over time learned like, all right, well, I'm just going to like stand here and shoot threes. Then I'll learn to play better defense within my limitations and just be a role player that way. Or even like his teammate, Jason Kidd, who switched to very much like a spot up shooter lifestyle late in his career. And that kind of extended his career a little further. Um, you know, I kind of define the end of Mello's career. I guess the last thing that I want to say as far as the overall legacy, and this followed him around literally his entire life, and, you know, you can't help it when you're born in such close proximity to one of the two greatest players to ever play basketball, uh, but he was drafted uh, in the same class as uh, LeBron James, obviously. They were high school rivals. You know, yeah. they were always going to be intrinsically linked in a way that, like, LeBron wasn't even linked to, like, his other contemporaries, like Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, like those guys eventually were just kind of remembered as like LeBron's contemporaries or whatever, like his teammates, you know, because they did end up being teammates. Mello and, and LeBron were never teammates. They, well, until the very end, obviously the very short stint with the Lakers, but like in any of the time that really mattered, they were never teammates and were always just sort of rivals and always going to be compared to one another, which I think sort of, Fair or not, always sort of tarnished Mello's legacy a little bit in some people's eyes because it was like, well, he's he's great and he might end up, you know, a top 15 scorer for the rest of time in the NBA, no matter how many guys come up. But, you know, he'll always be not as good as LeBron James, who he went in the draft class with. And fair or not, you know, that that is the truth. Obviously, he's never going to be viewed as good as LeBron James. But I think in the end, he carved out a pretty pretty damn good career for himself and I, i'll always remember him as one of the more electric scorers that i've ever seen play uh it, ever you know and that's having gotten to see a lot of great scores in my lifetime you know from like the year 2000 or so on since i've been into basketball and hmm. um i don't know i it's very easy let's put it this way it, for any negatives that are brought up during this, it's extremely easy for me. And this is how I'll continue living my life to just look back on the positives and have more than enough to draw from because he was just such a fun player to watch, especially on the Knicks. Yeah, just talking about him and LeBron. I mean, I, I was like personal anecdote here, but I got to talk to uh, Steve Smith last year, who's like the longtime head coach at Oak Hill um, because I was broadcasting one of their games. And like, I couldn't help. Like, it wasn't really on topic, but I was like, all right, can you just tell me like anything you remember about him and LeBron matching up? And he was talking about how like, they were like like the night before the game, they were like in each other's rooms, just like hanging out, I think, like playing video games. And he had to literally come in and tell them like 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 LeBron wasn't even his player and he had to go tell them both to go to sleep. Like they were like that close. And then they had the game. LeBron scored 36, Melo scored 34. And he said, like, and th this is a guy who was was coaching like literally the best high school basketball team in the country for about 30 years. And he was saying it's the only time in his whole career where like two guys got a standing ovation on a neutral court. Um, so that's like like to me, like. I, I found that cool that like from the beginning they were linked, but also that like LeBron is clearly on a different level and a different level of winner, but it's, it's a testament to Melo's talent that when they were on the same court at the same time, 
you weren't sure who was going to be the best player in that game. And to be clear, I'm sure 70%, maybe 80% of the time it was LeBron, given what he did defensively, given what he did as a passer, but Mel on any given night could say like, oh, we got LeBron bet and like, and play him to a draw or a near draw. And to me, like, like if you're making a case for Carmelo Anthony, the player like that, that is pretty much it. Um, and on top of that, like, this is something that I, I think, again, like I was kind of referencing this earlier and to bring it full circle, like I might not have appreciated enough, like in my youth and like following him is like, is just like what a good person like Carmelo was like with his charitable contributions, like just how many young guys around the league, like totally idolize him and look up to him. And you saw Jalen Brunson and Emmanuel quickly and all these guys like, like tweeting out the pictures of like Melo hugging them. Like I saw someone tweeting out a picture of Melo at the dunk contest where he's losing his mind, like over Obi Toppin having a big dunk. Like if you're making a case for him to be retired um, as a Nick, it was that like he loved the Knicks and like, and, and you could say like, all right, he didn't really put his money where his mouth was to your point, like with his contract and like with some of the stuff that happened, but he like, he clearly like he identifies as a Nick and, and he always wanted to be a Nick. And he was the superstar who chose to come to New York when no one else would. Um, so I, I think that should be taken into account with Carmelo Anthony. Um, not to mention stuff like, like during the Olympics, like David Aldridge had this story, like he, like they were told the whole Olympics, um, not to go to like, um, I believe it's called like a, a, excuse my pronunciation, but a favela, which was like the poor neighborhoods in Brazil. And like, and like everyone like associated with the Brazilian Olympic committee was saying, Hey, there's crime there. Don't go. It's not safe. It's bad people. And Carmelo, like after winning the gold medal went there and like surprised the people. And like, I don't know, maybe for some people that was, that was the memory of a lifetime. And like, he had that kind of goodness within him. And like, to me, that outweighs like, again, like some of the stuff that at least in real time I saw as kind of petty and like him trying to be the star and stuff like that. So a very complicated legacy, Alex, but overall, like, like, especially if you zoom out and like, not just from our like little Knicks bubble and like, like the full NBA spectrum, like, man, like what a, what, what a career, what a player, what a person. Yeah, for real. And we barely even touched on his Olympic resume as well, which you just alluded to, like, so the humanitarian aspect of that, but the the best, like, by the numbers and by the dedication to playing for them and everything else, the best uh, U.S. I, I, I think the only four-time Olympian um, yes. for America. Yeah, ever. Only four-time Olympian and only uh, – he, he had three golds and one, one bronze. bronze. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, definitely the best – Olympic player in U.S. history as well, which is really saying something, uh, yeah. considering the immense amount of talent that has played for the U.S. men's national team since 1992. So, yeah, uh, that is our episode on Carmelo Anthony. We might still find some ways to talk about him more. Uh, we're going to continue our mailbag episode. Well, actually, we recorded this and put this in place of the first <laughs> mailbag episode that we were going to air. So. We're starting to get into your mailbag questions tomorrow, but if you have mailbag questions for us, and they could be about mellow too, uh, feel free to either DM us on Twitter, uh, respond to our mailbag solicitation we just put out the other day on Twitter. Um, you can hit us up in YouTube comments, you know, whatever you want to do. Uh, hit us up if you got some mailbag questions. We're going to be doing those the rest of this week and potentially in the next week too, if we have enough questions, because why not? We love answering your guys' questions. So hit us up there. But, uh, uh, until next time, congrats, Mello, on a heck of a career and uh, a heck of a legacy. And I hope he really enjoys retirement. And I'm sure he's going to enjoy more time to see his son grow up, too, who looks like a pretty good basketball player, maybe a future Nick himself. Uh, so we'll see how that all goes. I think he's already got an offer from Syracuse. So we might see another uh, another Anthony family legacy start taking place uh, pretty soon. So until next time, though, thank you all for listening. And we'll talk to you all soon. Peace out, everybody.